electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, it's the waiting game. Pollster Frank Lunds might not know the fate of the election or his profession, but he does know an American journey is just beginning. What I'm concerned about is the level of distrust, the level of lack of confidence that these votes are being counted accurately and fairly from both sides. Pollster Frank Luntz, his name has 10 letters but only two vowels. That's weird. Frank Luntz. Joe Lieberman, former vice presidential candidate, says patience and patriotism work together. He knows a thing or two about waiting for all the votes to be counted. It's got to end at some point for the good of the country. Got to have a chance for power and vote together. Plus, what the votes mean for the Valley. Tech analyst Brent Thill. We don't think uh, the focus on big tech's going to go away in terms of the regulatory call. And the New York Times' Ed Lee. Maybe not a full breakup, but more regulation, more sort of, you know, eyes on on how they operate. It's Thursday, November 5th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're here an hour early, and this is only for special occasions. I'm (laughs) Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Today on the podcast, the waiting game continues. We still don't know the winner of the 2020 presidential election as vote counting continues in several key states, particularly Pennsylvania with 20 electoral votes and Arizona with 11. At the time of Squawk Box on Thursday morning, former Vice President Joe Biden appears in striking distance of the 270 electoral votes needed to win. And a key part of that math is Arizona, which some news organizations have already called as part of the Biden tally, while the count there continues. Here's Becky. Joining us right now is political strategist Frank Luntz. And and Frank, I don't know if you heard Joe teasing you in the block before, but he called you a pollster. And I, I just wonder if after the performance of the pollsters the last couple of elections, you take that as an insult. Well, I don't think Joe's ever liked me, so that just that just keeps to the pattern. She was kidding. She was referencing that pollsters now have an even worse... I was just introing you. I was, I was being nice. I, was, I think you have a cool name because you only have two vowels. I said that. I've got like four out of nine. I mean, two out of seven, two out of ten is weird, Frank, and I think it makes you very unique and very cool. So I grew start, up very. Don't start with me. Parents, don't start with me today. It's all my parents could afford was two vowels. I was lucky <laughs> to get two. Right, right, right. Because you have to buy a vowel <laughs> typically. So I, don't, again, I never know why got, they do that. That's right. All right, Beth. So, Frank, honestly, what do you think? Just what do you think just about the polling, the future for for polling based on the outperformance? You've been warning for a long time that if the polls didn't get this right, it, it was going to be a real problem for, for the profession in general. And I, I believe that. I believe that it's very hard to do it because the pollsters do not know how to get Donald Trump to participate. In the end, I believe that Joe Biden captures Nevada and Arizona. I believe that Donald Trump captures Georgia and North Carolina. And to win Pennsylvania is not enough for Donald Trump. That will not put him over 270 votes. So we have to see 
frankly, what happens to Arizona. There's a big fight that's going on right now behind the scenes between the Trump campaign and those who prognosticated that Arizona is in the Biden camp. The Trump people believe that the votes have not been counted correctly. That is the place where they are hoping to make the biggest difference. And there are other lawsuits that have been filed, but Arizona is the place where the battle is going to happen because the president cannot be reelected without winning both Pennsylvania and Arizona. Uh, and, and in the end, the longer that this takes, what I'm concerned about is the level of distrust, the level of, of lack of confidence that these votes are being counted accurately and fairly from both sides, that the Democrats believe that there's been too much voter suppression, that too many people were not allowed the ability to vote, and the Republicans believe that there's been voter fraud, and we heard the statements from the president, and most journalists and many politicians have criticized him for doing that, that they say, if you're going to accuse voter fraud, be able to prove it. Right now, my greatest concern in the markets are obviously believing that, that, Joe, that it's going to be resolved today, is that the public once again believes that the elections are being waged in a free, fair, and accurate way, and that they believe they're being represented. And Becky, one more thing. There's been no conversation or very little about Republicans taking control of the Senate or keeping control, and that Kevin McCarthy in the House have added anywhere from five to 10 seats, which will make that institution much more accountable, much more uh, uh, giving the Republicans a greater voice. In the end, because of the Republicans controlling the Senate, that is an end to many of Joe, of Joe Biden's more progressive positions. I think that the, the markets can react uh, uh, with some security that they're not going to get a Green New Deal, that we're not going to get a violent increase in taxes, that Biden will have to govern to the center because the Republicans will insist on. So, Frank, the question I'd ask you is what the great lesson of this uh, election has been and, and whether, you, whether you think it demonstrates that the, the Democrats, I mean, it was fascinating to hear Barry Diller yesterday say how humbled he was uh, about uh, what he's learned from this. I, by the way, I feel humbled by it. I think so many of us uh, feel humbled by all of it as, as, we look at, as we look at these results. But where you think the country really is, is it really tribal? Uh, you know, uh, how, how, how center, center right is it? How center left is it? You know, there, there are, by the way, some Democrats who think that the problem for the Democrats was that they didn't go left enough. Do you see the Democrats do that, or do you think they come even more to the center? Where do the Republicans go? You look at, as you said, the Senate situation. You look at the minimum wage issue in, in Florida. You look at the Lyft Uber issue in California. You look at the Latino vote. I mean, it, it's fascinating, but I'm just curious what if your biggest takeaways from all of this. Well, I'm not humbled. I'm scared. I'm scared about whether we'll be able to come together. I'm scared about whether the people who voted for Joe Biden will think that he's left-wing enough. I'm scared that the Republicans will be under pressure, even though Don, I, I don't believe that Donald Trump will continue in office. I'm scared about whether the Republicans will find some way to cooperate with him. I'm scared about the divisions in Washington, D.C. And I look at that map right there, and there are more red states than there are blue states. But in the end, population, Joe Biden is going to win this election by somewhere around three, three and a half percent. And I'm scared about the coming together, that the public does not want a massive tax yeah. increase. They do not want massive regulations. They do not want a massive change. But they do want an end to the ugliness, to the meanness. They do want a, a level of civility that they haven't seen before. And I'm scared that they will get 
the wrong lessons, lessons from this campaign. Frank, that was a, a really a something to watch over at Fox with that Arizona call. But, it, but, but what we're talking about uh, right now uh, with Arizona. So they got a, uh, and it's a weird name, they got a dump yesterday, right? And, and the percentages that they were seeing uh, was the right percentage for what the White House has been saying. But there are questions whether the, what's remaining, whether the percentages will uh, will stay where they were yesterday. And I know how detailed you're, you're involved in all this minutia. This is part of what I don't understand about the electoral process. We're sitting, we're watching Arizona count its ballots, and it should be done, I believe, by, by uh, this weekend. And North Carolina is not counting any ballots for another few days. That they simply wait until November 12th. I don't understand that process, that there should be some sort of standardization. In terms of Arizona, I don't believe that there are enough votes out there. Yes, the votes that they cast yesterday made a significant impact, that they were uh, for Donald Trump by about 60-40. That would require there to be more votes out there, and they would require it to be from the suburbs and not from uh, 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 the, yes, uh, and the Phoenix area. Yeah. You've got to go to other parts of the state to make that kind of impact. Right. In the end, we are a business network, and in the end, the people who watch this are about economic issues, and that you're going to see an increase in public confidence about the future. You're going to see an increase based on the vote and based on the sense of a return to normalcy. You're going to see a shift as we approach the holiday season in, in the desire to consume, in the desire to spend based on the work that we're doing. And this election will confirm to Americans a sense of a return to normalcy. And that is very good for a market economy. That is very good for a consumer economy. And I actually think that the markets are making the right decision by thinking that this election is going to resolve a lot more things than it isn't. I just see it from a political perspective. And I question whether or not we are in the mood to be magnanimous and to reach out to each other and to accept a differing point of view, which we've not been for the last four years. Hey, Frank, just in terms of the legal challenges, which of them do you think have good standing and might actually change any of the counts, any of the situations that you've seen in, in these key states? The fact is none of them do, because the legal challenges that are most effective are those that happen in the days before the election or even in the day before the election. Once those votes it is very rare, it, almost impossible. And it's happened in Philadelphia, and that's the place where I think that the legal challenges have the greatest standing. In Philadelphia, elections have been nullified when they've been able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was corruption. And it has happened in Philadelphia. I was living in a city when it happened. I saw it happen. And I saw the corruption that goes on in that city. And I don't mean to cast aspersions among the politicians who govern there now. But Philadelphia does not have a good history in how it's behaved in the electoral process. In Pennsylvania, the judges there tend to rule on the side of the Democrats, tend to, but there have been some compromised decisions over the last two weeks that suggest that in Pennsylvania, you could, it could make a difference. Plus, Trump is leading right now, and he will continue to lead, I think, until the last two or three percent of the votes are counted. But then you think that, that, that the, that state flips and it goes to former Vice President Biden? 
based on where the votes are and based on the fact that so many of them are coming from Philadelphia or the Philadelphia suburbs, which is so strongly Democratic at this point, and the suburbs shifted Democratic four years ago, I think that it does stay in the, I think that it does flip to Joe Biden. And I don't think that the courts are going to overturn those decisions, at least not in this election cycle. But where do you think Arizona and Nevada come down? Does, does Pennsylvania matter, I guess, if, if, if that's where the biggest questions are, if that's where the biggest legal challenges are? So the key for the Trump campaign, where they're holding on their hopes, and there is some reason, some justification for this, is that Arizona can flip to Trump based on where the votes are still coming from. And Pennsylvania is still too close to call. I believe that Nevada, when all the votes are counted, stays in Biden's camp. There are too many votes that are missing there from Las Vegas and not enough missing from the rest of the state, which is more likely to vote Republican than Vegas is. What about Georgia? Georgia in the end will end up, I believe, will end up with the Republicans by a very, very narrow margin. And what's interesting about Georgia is the Senate race. At least one of those races are going to a runoff, and it is still possible that, that two of them will, based on the votes that are still out. And could you imagine the Senate being up for grabs uh, even after the politicians are seated for the new Congress, that you could see tens of millions of dollars spent to make a difference? Because if Joe Biden could possibly win the Senate, then all bets are off in terms of legislation. This is really important for, for the impact, for the consequences of, of, uh, of legislation, of the more progressive legislation. It will not happen if Republicans control the Senate, but that control is still dependent upon that race that you got up right there. If David Perdue stays at 50.0, then it'll become virtually impossible because then the Democrats would have to win the Tom Tillis race in North Carolina, which I don't think will happen, and then they'd have to win the, uh, the runoff in the other Georgia race, which is possible. Hey, Frank, thank you. Um been great talking to you the last several days, and we really appreciate your insights. And I want you to know that you are, I, I give advice to my colleagues. I give advice to people when they ask me what should they watch to get an accurate report. And Joe and you and Andrew do the best job of any show on television at presenting exactly what is likely to happen, exactly the consequences, and CNBC should be proud of what it does. You've not fallen into the trap of the other, other cable networks. You've done your job well. Congratulations, you all. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. That's high You're praise, here. and we appreciate You're it coming here. from you. Next on Squawk Pod, the Supreme Court weighed in on a presidential election in Bush v. Gore 20 years ago. Could it happen again? Former Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman remembers the chaotic 36 days over Florida, Florida, Florida. After an election that was as close as it was on Tuesday, with as many people committed not only to Joe Biden, but to Donald Trump, the Trump campaign has the right to uh, take its case uh, to court and let the judge decide. Back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning. 
Welcome to Squawk Box again here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We love being on TV. You can't give us too many hours. And I think we're all thankful for the teleprompter at this point and anything you put in it, we're going to read. No, no, we're fine. Right, Becky? But uh, sleep, yeah. is, uh, sleep is at a premium. First. Sleep is at a premium. As the ballot count trickles in from battleground states, the Trump campaign is preparing to take legal action. So far, they've filed lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia. And they've requested a recount in Wisconsin, where NBC News has projected a Biden victory. The last time a close election was this controversial was 20 years ago in the race between Al Gore and George W. Bush. When do you think we're going to know, Joe? I remember the Christmas party in 2000 where you and I were debating chads. I know. In that election cycle, Al Gore's campaign kept on from the morning after Election Day. Here was his campaign chairman. What we have learned has left us deeply troubled. For 35 days after Americans cast their votes. But this race is simply too close to call. And until the results, the recount is concluded and the results of Florida, Florida become official, our campaign continues. Due to a prolonged legal fight over a razor-thin majority between candidates in one swing state. NBC's Tim Russert famously explained. It is extraordinary what we're watching tonight. Florida, Florida, Florida. This time around, Florida's Electoral College votes are projected to go decisively to Donald Trump. But the frenzy of the 2000 election is not one easily forgotten. After a contentious Florida recount, reporters had camped out on the steps of the United States Supreme Court in mid-December, awaiting what turned out to be a notoriously confusing decision, settling the election in favor of George W. Bush. Former Vice President Al Gore could have taken an appeal to the Florida Supreme Court, but instead, he gave his concession speech, his second and final concession. Al Gore's running mate, Connecticut Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman, remembers the bitter battle to the end. Senator Lieberman was the first Jewish person to be on a major political party's presidential ticket, and he served 24 years in the Senate alongside Joe Biden. Earlier in this 2020 election cycle, Lieberman endorsed Vice President Biden in his campaign for the White House. Here's Joe Kernan with former Senator Joe Lieberman today on Squawk Box. You are a supporter of Joe Biden. You've known him alone a long time, uh, Senator, and, but, but you're not a surrogate. You never did actually get, get actively involved from, from what I can understand. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Good to be with you. Well, I'm, I'm, I was I'm definitely, I was a supporter. I am a friend of Joe Biden's. I spent a lot of time during this campaign working as chair of an organization called No Labels, which uh, tried to elect uh, centrist uh, problem-solving Democrats and Republicans to the House and Senate. And I'm proud to say we, we have pretty good track records. So, but uh, I think it's shaping up uh, right now, depending on how this ends, the recount ends, to be a, uh, a divided Congress, but one that I'm optimistic will work together to get things done uh, for the country, including a COVID response bill pretty early. Uh, Senator, I think people forget that uh, back in 2000, even after uh, one of the decisions, there was an appeal left open uh, to, uh, to Vice President Gore uh, to take it back to Florida. And if he had, there would not have been a can you even saying this is hard for me to imagine, but there would not have been a president by inauguration day. People forget how yeah. long, how long. <laughs> I, know. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was torture. And he said, I know he had a, a private conversation with you where he said, Joe, um, the country needs a president. 
And that's, you know, that's that you're hearkening back to a, another age. A lot has changed since then, but that that would be a good lesson for for today, I think, on either side. Absolutely. I appreciate uh, your asking me. Look, it all came down in 2000 to Florida, uh, as people will recall. And uh, we fought it out with recounts, litigation, uh, 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 demonstrations. But uh, fortunately, thank God, it, it was done in the American way, for the most part, within the law. We took our conflict to court. Uh, and there was no violence, there was no lawlessness, really, maybe a little rowdiness, but that's all. And uh, we, we did get to a point about a month later where the, the case of Bush v. Gore was divided, decided by the Supreme Court five to four. It was very painful, shocking, disappointing to Al Gore and me and, and all, who, all the millions of people who supported us. After the decision that night, uh, our lawyers had a disagreement and uh, some of them said, that's it. No more legal uh, roads open. And some said, um, you can go back to the Florida Supreme Court and ask them to implement the statewide recount that they ordered just a few days ago, last Friday. And uh, Al Gore and I talked about it. He, he thought about it, but I give him all the credit uh, because he said at the end, we've got to end it. We might have a chance in Florida. We might not, but the fact is that if we went back to Florida court, they ordered a recount, it would never be done by the time the electoral college meets, which was about a week later, and it might not even be done um, before January 20th when the new administration is supposed to take office. So Unbelievable, yeah. Hey. we got to stop it now, and I, I hope the litigants, the candidates, the parties now will remember that lesson. It's, it's a very strong one from Al Gore, really. I give him the credit. Senator, it is a, the Democratic Party has uh, evolved uh, since, since you were part of it. And you, and you had your own issues, I think, at one point with the, right. the far left uh, issue of the Democratic Party. And do you think it, that, that there are lessons to be learned from, the out, from what we saw in the results of, of Tuesday's election for, for the Democratic Party, even though... Uh, the vice president might end up as as president? Yeah, I, I really do. Uh, both of our major parties in our whole country is in transition and unsettled. But uh, look, it looks like Joe Biden's going to be elected our next president. So he created a sort of centrist, center-out coalition, which helped to elect him. But he's not a leftist or a radical. He is. I know. I served with him. I know him well. 24 years together in the Senate. He's a center-left Democrat and always a bridge builder, uh, always uh, looking for bipartisan compromise to get things done. We really need that now. But the other story, and it's a big one from uh, Tuesday's election, is that President Trump had a lot more strength than any of the polls revealed. A lot of people really believe in him and what he's saying about our government. And that uh, means two things. One is... It showed that the country is still divided politically, really pretty deeply divided. But it's a real challenge to Joe Biden, and I think he he, he understands this, to, to try to govern in a way that unites the country. And, you know, I hope that he, we don't have unity governments in America, but I hope he has some uh, Republicans uh, high up in his administration and maybe even some uh, who were uh, active supporters of President Trump. It, it's time for the country, for the good of the people, not only for the health of the people uh, with COVID-19, but uh, for the economy that we pull together 
with all of America's strength and make our future uh, as good as the, uh, both of the candidates said they wanted to make it. But it can only come if we're working together. Uh, Senator, I wanted to ask you about a report this morning from Mike Allen, uh, who's the report assumes uh, that, that Joe Biden wins the presidency and also assumes that McConnell uh, keeps the Senate majority, he says that if that's the case, that McConnell plans to prevent Joe Biden from stacking his cabinet with liberals and to force him to go with more centrist options like Lael Brannard for Treasury and Tony Blinken for state. Um, do you think that's true? And do you think that's appropriate? Well, that's really interesting. Um, uh, I think that uh, um, th th that's why I think in some ways uh, having a Democratic president and a Republican Senate um, with two people at the head, Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell, who know each other for a long time and have worked pretty well together, it, it will create balance and will really help pres a President Biden uh, unite the country. So I hadn't heard about the idea that Mitch McConnell might use it to encourage uh, uh, a President Biden to choose more moderate uh, people to the cabinet. But, you know, from my way of thinking, that's not all bad. And to tell you the truth, it might be exactly uh, what Joe Biden wants to do anyway, because he'll be pressured from the left. They're in the tent. They helped him get elected. He's got to, uh, you know, them some respect and give them some things, but uh, they're not in charge. He is, as he said at the first debate, he's the head of the Democratic Party now and now looks like the head of the country. So uh, he's got to have his choices. But that's a that's a very interesting story. It's plausible to me. And frankly, to me, it's encouraging because it means we'll have more moderate people uh, leading uh, the, the key positions in the Biden administration in the future. Uh, Senator, the uh, the Florida situation, I, I, I remember it, and, and I had a different view that, than you did. I, I thought that, that it clearly looked to me like like vote harvesting from the Democratic strongholds down in uh, in some of those counties down in Florida. And so when it ended, I was like, thank God someone uh, stepped in. So I, I'm not sure at all. It all like even right now, do you think there's anything to any of the accusations, we know that Philadelphia has a, a, a history we just heard earlier of some things that might not be exactly above board. Do you think there's, there's any evidence of anything that, that, uh, that would uh, call the, uh, the election into question at this point, or is it all conspiracy theories from the, the side that might not win? Well, I mean, the, the, the real answer is I don't know. But uh, what I do know is that in our country, which is governed by the rule of law, after an election that was as close as it was on Tuesday, with as many people committed not only to Joe Biden, but to Donald Trump, the Trump campaign has the right to uh, take its case uh, to court and let the judge decide. Um, I thought we had a pretty good, I thought we had a good case in Florida. Uh, in 2000. I didn't think there was vote harvesting. Unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, the Florida court agreed with us, but the Supreme Court didn't. And that's where uh, it ended. I think the important thing for me to say, and I guess it's directed toward the Trump campaign, uh, you got it right now and you actually have the time to uh, take these cases to court. The Electoral College uh, doesn't meet this year until December 14th. I hope we don't have to wait that long. But you got a right to take your, your case to the courts. Let the judges decide. 
But then most of all, as Al Gore did in 2000, uh, it's got to end at some point for the good of the yeah. country. Got to have a transfer of power and pull together. I remember, I, I think about what, what W, his eight years, and I think about uh, Senator Gore's eight years as he became a, a, a you know, almost a demigod to the, the environmental movement and a gazillionaire and everything else. And I'm wondering who won <laughs> and, and who lost. You know what I mean? Always a good question. You're right. <laughs> like, who wants to do that in the first place, Senator? Anyway, I, I know you don't want to go back to this, not, not with the state of things no. now. Anyway. Great to see you. Always great uh, pleasure to, to be with you, Senator. Thank you. All right, thank you. Okay, you too. Coming up on Squawk Pod, big tech's role in the election and the years to come. New York Times media reporter Ed Lee. I still think that there is a big suit to happen. There is a big sort of move on the part of whether it's a Biden administration or a Trump administration to break up, whether it's Google or Amazon. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden may have little in common politically, but they've both attacked the market power of big tech, giant Silicon Valley companies taking over our phones, our searches, our shopping. Yesterday on Squawk Box, we spoke with media mogul Barry Diller, chairman of IAC and Expedia, about the future of tech regulation. You can't break up big tech at this point. It's crazy. What you can do is begin to regula- regulate it sensibly because they've gotten too large not to have sensible regulation. That's what I think will happen no matter, no matter which administration it is. Maybe even more so, it might happen with uh, a Trump administration. What could a possible new government have in store for regulating big tech? Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke with Ed Lee, New York Times media reporter and a CNBC contributor, and Brent Fell, senior tech analyst at Jefferies. Here's Andrew. Let me start with you, Ed. In terms of what happens in a, 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 a I don't know if we're, well, let's just assume that it's a divided situation. Maybe we'll assume for now that Biden wins Republican Congress, uh, Democratic House. How does that change the dynamic in terms of the potential regulation for big tech? Look, I think I think what you're seeing in the market rally on the, around the tech stocks is in part this idea that in, if there is a divided sort of leadership this way with the you know with the president Biden and uh, and a GOP Senate, that a lot of these things won't be able to go through. That the, the sort of the moves 
from both parties to try to regulate big tech will get a harder time to pass. I think I think Barry might be right on that score. He suggests also that if, if it Trump stays in the White House, that it, you know that they'll find other ways to regulate tech in a, in a more sort of ameliorated way, as opposed to just sort of a big clampdown. I don't know about that quite. I mean, the DOJ suit against Google, for example, is really just about Google being too big, right? And that is actually something that whether it's Elizabeth Warren or people of the Democratic Party, that they also agree with, that maybe the approach should be different. But I still think that there is a big suit to happen. There is a big sort of move on the part of whether it's a Biden administration or a Trump administration to break up, whether it's Google or Amazon, or find deeper ways to regulate Facebook in terms of how they moderate content. Um, I think there is still a, a political will there. Right. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Brent, weigh in on this, because this is the part I don't understand. I mean, this has been, you know, big, you know, bashing big tech has been one of the great bipartisan uh, sports of the past uh, year or two. Uh, you know, we've had everybody from Elizabeth Warren call for the breakups of these companies, uh, you know, to... Um, uh, you know, to, to to all sorts of Republicans, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of Ted Cruz, uh, who's been on our program and has talked about it too. Yeah, we we don't think uh, the focus on big tech's going to go away in terms of the regulatory call. Uh, what we believe is that there is no breakup, uh, and we continue to believe that the regulatory overhang has created this cloud over some of the multiples, and we don't think that happens. So it's been a great investment opportunity. Again, you go back to the Microsoft case, Microsoft stock went up over 1,000% during that 11-year investigation. So our investment call is that you stick with the big names, uh, you, you respect what's happening, but we do not believe there's a breakup. And if we're wrong, the sum of the parts of these companies is actually greater than the whole. So uh, Alphabet broken up would actually be worth more. So uh, the good news is if we're wrong on this call, investors will actually make even more money. Uh, if Amazon were, were, for example, have they had to spin off AWS, that would perhaps, given where software multiples are trading right now, uh, yield a material uh, upside in, in Amazon's uh, stock uh, because we think AWS, again, is still being right. undervalued inside the company. Um, so we, we, we don't expect, again, in the short term, uh, anything to change. Uh, we think, again, these are great fundamental franchises in the, the work-from-anywhere environment. Uh, and, and live anywhere environment is going to continue to be a tailwind for hey. a lot of the tech stories. Hey, Ed, speak to this, though. You know, obviously, this Google suit was brought by uh, effectively the Trump administration, if you will. Um, when you think about the kinds of, to the extent you believe that Vice President Biden uh, may win the presidency, do you believe the kinds of people that he will appoint to these roles, those who would run the Department of Justice, potentially uh, those who might even, uh, you know, head up Treasury and the like, is it now, a, given, given what's happening in this country, is it a different group of people? Meaning, would have he uh, appointed more activists, more progressives in, in those spots and now has to, has to make up a new list or not? I think um, what you're seeing happening in the Senate, how that's shaking out, I think certainly will affect his calculus in terms of what kind of cabinet he, he assembles. That plus Kamala Harris, right? I mean, she can't, She comes from you know that region. She understands Silicon Valley. She has dealt with um, that contingent uh, in, in a pretty expert, you know, uh, politic way, right? So I think she knows how to thread the needle. She knows how to sort of uh, find ways to work with them without, you know, without sort of killing them outright. 
that's one faction. There are at the same time the Elizabeth Warrens, right? Elizabeth Warren herself, as well as uh, people at that at that sort of spectrum at the, end of the spectrum who think that they are too big and that there's a more sophisticated way to kind of go after these companies in terms of breakup. I think the DOJ suit against Google is one sort of half step in that direction, just in terms of the arguments that they're making. But there are more sophisticated arguments, legal arguments right. that uh, that a new DOJ could make that could you know find ways to break it up. So I think he still has to. Th- I think a, a President Biden would have to thread that from uh, sort of a Kamala Harris sort of uh, sort of sector of this, as well as Elizabeth Warren. At the same time, I do think there will be some moves. I think there will be a move to regulate big right. tech. Maybe not a full breakup, but more regulation, more sort of, you know, eyes on, right. on how they operate. Hey, Brent, we, we got to run, but just uh, answer this, if you could, it, 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 as quickly as you can. And I had asked it to, to Dom Chu earlier, as we've watched these FANG stocks move, is that a function of the election or is it a function of these record COVID cases and this idea that there may be either uh, more work from home or more lockdowns or more something where people are going to be stuck at home for a longer time? I, I think that Jeffries thinks that this is a clearing event, that ultimately there was a lot of dollars that sat on the sidelines. He had a little bit of a tech uh, pullback. That's merely money just coming back in, given given the uncertainty is, is passing. And we do think that the work from anywhere trend is going to continue to be a tailwind, especially as we go into the winter. And we're not obviously seeing the, the caseload in the direction we want. Uh, and we continue to believe, again, uh, tech remains on a rebound. You're seeing great results off the last quarter. Right. Even last night, we saw good results out of uh, companies reporting across software and internet. Uh, so we think merely investors okay. are coming back uh, into the group, uh, given, given this is a clearing event. Thank you, Brent, Ed. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you soon. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free wherever you get podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, you could leave us a review or maybe even a five-star rating. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.